The scripture that we are in today is in Acts, and we began Acts a few weeks ago, and then we had the big drama of Pentecost last Sunday um, with the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And this story that we're in now is the very first story that is in this very uh, dramatic book that's full of amazing stories. And we're partway into it, so I want to tell you what's happened because Peter and John were going up to the temple for prayer in the afternoon at three o'clock. And as they were walking into the temple, there was a man who was begging. And that's the way that those who were lame uh, made a living. So they, uh, Peter looked at him and said, I don't have any silver and gold to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. So this man who had been crippled really from birth stood up, his ankles got strong, and he was not only walking, he was jumping and leaping and going into the temple praising God. So then, after that, Peter gives a speech in chapter 3, describes why this happened and how this happened, which was through Jesus Christ, and now we're picking it up in chapter 4. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we will listen to the scripture. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word in Jesus Christ who has come. Thank you for your word that speaks to us and lifts us up and turns us around and works resurrection in our lives and in your world. We pray that your word would be alive through your Holy Spirit this day for us and for your world. In Christ's name, amen. This is Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and we will read um, 22 verses. Listen to God's word to you. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, This Jesus is, quote, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. 
but to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. This lame man, more than 40 years old, which was in that phrasing to say that it was a lifespan. He had been lame from birth, and so it was another way of saying he was a hopeless case, a truly, truly hopeless case. And yet Jesus saved him. And this word here for saved, zozo in the Greek, is used two times in this passage. Jesus saves, there is no name. Uh, like Jesus, that can save. And yet it's also the name that throughout the gospel stories, you see the different ways that Jesus does save by casting out demons, by healing, by forgiving. Uh, in every single way, Jesus' saving grace is at work, saving hopeless cases. Now the story here, I just want to lift up not only this lame man as the hopeless case who was saved, but Peter you stop and think what was happening with Peter when he felt most hopeless was only a few months earlier. He had taken a vow to Jesus. He loved Jesus. He was loyal to Jesus. He said, I will follow you to death. When Jesus said, you're going to betray me before the cock crows, and Peter said, no way. I will die with you. And yet, where was Peter? He was right outside the house of the high priest family, so intimidated that he betrayed even his best loyalties, his own integrity, that he even knew Jesus at all. But we see him here, he is not intimidated whatsoever. And I think it's helpful to realize what an intimidating situation this was. Because these are the same people who had been a part of turning the crowd against Jesus and making sure that he was put to death. These are the same people, the high priestly family, where Peter had been intimidated when Jesus got arrested in the middle of the night, and now he's standing. They'd been arrested already in the temple for doing nothing wrong, for healing somebody. They'd been imprisoned in jail, and then they'd been ordered to come in and stand in the presence of the Sanhedrin, which is a very intimidating group in Jerusalem, Asked, by what power are you doing these things? Which was a power question. And yet here, Peter stands, not intimidated at all. And if anything, he's turning the tables. And if we're going to talk about criminal behavior, you crucified Jesus. And so you have this whole, they are being held accountable to him. Whether it's right for us to obey God uh, or you, you'll have to decide in other words, they're holding them accountable to God. So, Peter is transformed. A hopeless case. He considered himself a hopeless case. Good news. Jesus saves hopeless 
cases. I want you to hang on to that for where we are right now in our country, as we are very aware in a raw and real way with the reality of systemic racism. And again and again, I hear people expressing a sense of hopelessness about it. I was reading something in the paper by a journalist who said, I've been reporting on this, he's an African-American himself, so many years and never seeing real change. A mom lamenting as she was feeling the heaviness of the hopelessness of the situation and then hearing her 20-something son say, nothing's going to change. Just feeling the burden of that. In a conversation with other pastors on Zoom this past week, one of them who's in his 70s, who said, this is so discouraging because this was the same stuff we were protesting and marching against in the 60s that he was involved with. There was an interview that I appreciated listening to with Mark Laverton, president of Fuller Seminary, and one of the students there, not a student anymore, a songwriter, a worship leader, his name is Andre Henry. And this conversation was so fascinating. This young man, uh, born in Jamaica, but then uh, grew up most of his life in a small town in Georgia, I think it's called Stone Mountain. And then later in adulthood, he uh, went to a Assemblies of God college. Um, he went to New York City to really try to launch his music calling. And while he was in New York City, really realizing the reality uh, and the impact of systemic racism on his own soul, on his own being. As the stop and frisk, uh, he was stopped three times in a year, like most of his friends who were black. Um, the, the Eric Garner death, more and more he was realizing this could be me and just feeling the freight and the weight of systemic racism. He went to Fuller um, as he wanted to develop his calling as a worship leader, and uh, while he was there, he ended up, felt really called by God to find this huge boulder, this 100 pounds, that's a 100 pound boulder right there. And he put it on a wagon and he covered it with all these different descriptions of the things that are part of systemic racism that are just a burden, as he would describe it, a burden on his black psyche. And he lugged it around, he took it everywhere he went. He took it to class, he took it to church when he was leading worship, he took it to dinner with friends, he would take it down the street, and people would ask him about it, and he would have great conversations. It was this powerful visual, as Mark Laverton described it, seeing him around campus, that the thing that is hidden to many of us that goes on inside the black psyche was made very, very visible, and the burden of it. The saddest thing in that interview according to Mark, uh, was to hear that Andre Henry, when he would lug this thing around, the only place that people did not ask him about it, can you guess, was in the church. Everywhere else, people wanted to know, wanted to talk about it, but not in the church. And eventually, somebody said to him, racism is not important to God, Andre. Jesus is not only interested in the spirit of Jesus, of healing, 
the lameness, but those things that cripple us as well. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is also by Luke. Luke wrote Acts, and this is in um, Luke 13. It's the story of the bent-over woman. And Jesus is in the synagogue, and it's on the Sabbath, and he notices this woman who's been bent over for 18 years. The description, a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over, quite unable to stand up straight. Jesus noticed her. He went to her, and he said, Woman, you are free from your ailment. And after he did that, the leader of the synagogue, instead of being excited for this woman was extremely upset because she had been healed on the Sabbath. And he scolds her. He looks at her and scolds her. There are six days for you to come and get healed. Come on one of those days. And Jesus scolds him. Says, you hypocrite. And he wasn't just saying you singular. You hypocrites. He's speaking to the system. What about on the Sabbath when your animals need something? Don't you untie them and take them to get a drink of water? And isn't this daughter of Abraham more important? Whom Satan has bound for 18 years, ought she not to be set free? Yes, she was healed. The system was not. And Jesus confronts the system. If you look in this story, I find it interesting. There's a lot of healings that go on in this story, right? There's the lame man, of course, and there's Peter we talked about, and then there's 5,000 who are saved. Who are the only ones that are not saved in this story? The establishment, you might call them, the Sadducees, the high priestly family, the people that are the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and it's actually kind of stunning that they're not because they have all the evidence in the world they're even describing it. We cannot deny that there has been a miracle. This man standing right here, we know this man. He was lame, and he's now standing here totally healed. And we know these two men were followers of Jesus, companions of his, uneducated, ordinary guys, and listen to him now. So they've got all this evidence to basically come to faith themselves, and yet they don't. Because Jesus is bringing a, a new order. He's laying down a new cornerstone. And I want to describe to you from two paragraphs on either side of our story in Acts that tell us what this new cornerstone is like and what it is. Acts 2, verses 44 to 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. That's the paragraph in front of the story of the healing. This is the paragraph at the end of the story of the healing. Acts 4, 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the cornerstone that is Jesus that was rejected. And in many ways we can see why, because it is a leveling. 
The people that have a lot are not there to hang on to all that a lot that they have, but to give to those in need, to those who don't have enough to live on. Peter and John were transformed, building a new structure based on that cornerstone. And yet, it was rejected by the establishment because they would be the ones who would lose the most and have to change the most with this brand new structure. Jesus saves hopeless cases. And the slowest are the systemic ones of dismantling that which is not built on the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ and that way of being in the world. I think it's humbling for us, at least for me, to realize that Presbyterians have, since their beginning, really been a part of the establishment. This government of Presbyterianism that came out of Europe really has been aligned with those in power, including in this country. And mostly white, mostly people with education and resources. And so it's humbling for us as we look at the challenge of actually letting Jesus transform who we are as God's people and how hard that is. I was talking to my cousin who lives in Richmond, Virginia yesterday, telling me how they're going to be taking down these monuments uh, built for the Confederacy. Anyone who's been to Richmond, Virginia knows Monument Avenue, and you know these, these monuments, how incredible that is. She is very active in, at Second Presbyterian downtown in Richmond, really a pretty amazing church with a long history. In fact, they're celebrating their 175th anniversary this year. And she said their first pastor, the founding pastor, uh, was actually a man who owned slaves. Not only that, he was the chaplain for the Confederacy. And then she mentioned that when she came into the church quite a while ago, the pastor at that time was on the opposite end of building on the new cornerstone of Jesus Christ, who was very involved in the civil rights movement. Last week, there was a gathering by Faith in Action of white clergy and faith leaders to put together a declaration and a commitment. It was huge. It was over 800 people were in on the Zoom. It was so huge, I dropped out. I didn't know what was going on. But they sent out this declaration, which is very powerful. And I want to read just two paragraphs of it for you because one is naming how we have been the powerful ones and complicit in not wanting to build on that new cornerstone. And the other is the positive things, the healing that Jesus is doing. So these are two of the paragraphs in this declaration. As white faith leaders and clergy, we are called to take responsibility for our part in the struggle against anti-blackness and for racial justice. Many of us, and particularly our white Christian traditions, have been complicit with racism through colonization, slavery, segregation, lynching, and racialized mass incarceration. Collectively, we have allowed our fear to give way to silence, allowing racist theologies and praxis to find welcome in our places of worship and our communities. Yet, there have also been many times faith leaders, including white faith leaders, 
have labored for justice, including work for abolitionism, voting rights, civil rights, a just immigration system, and an end to racialized mass incarceration. In the spirit of this tradition, we are calling all white clergy and faith leaders to join us in uprooting theologies and practices that promote or accommodate interpersonal, structural, and systemic racism, and to replace them with life-giving ways of making meaning, building relationships, and reconstructing just systems and structures. In my mind, this is a description of what Jesus is doing in healing, what is a hopeless case, but not for Jesus. And we were asked to sign this. I did sign it, even though I don't think of myself as an activist whatsoever. But I do see this healing happening even as God is trying to transform me. I was encouraged a few, well, actually amazed, a few years ago when Mark Laverton was here to preach. We were in his book called that summer. And he was telling us how at the graduation ceremony at Fuller that year, at the baccalaureate, there was a black protest. And the students rose up and took over the baccalaureate's service and took over the microphone and were up there expressing their anger and frustration for all the reasons we've just named. And were criticizing him as a leader of this system and this school. And what he did was so perfect. He listened. He listened, he listened, and he acted and has continued to work hard to diversify the staff there, to diversify and rebuild the way they do their theologies based on that diversity. There's hope. Jesus saves hopeless cases. This picture that we had earlier of Andre Henry. He has a shirt on. The shirt, it says, it doesn't have to be this way. He is a man of God filled with hope because he trusts in and follows Jesus Christ who saves hopeless cases. Not quickly, right? The lame man was healed quickly. The system was not. The bent over woman was healed quickly. The system was not, and is still being healed. And we will know it's healed when there is no boulder being lugged around, a burden on the psyche of those who fear for their lives, whether they are blacks or others. So let us be encouraged. Jesus saves hopeless cases, including systemic racial injustice. Thanks be to God.